Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Right, that there. I need two screens now. Everything's all on the one screen. Oh, it's really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I'm pushing windows up and down and minimizing like an idiot. <laughs> Uh, let's oh. just do this and breathe. <sighs> this podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. Folks, this is Dum Dee Dum, the show about the reality docky drama that are centred on Amridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the Scots Riot, that is Roy Field Brown. And with me, I have the echoing emptiness that is Lucy Freeman. And the last part of Ambridge's Rivals Burns Nights, folks, is you. Now, this week's Dum Dee Dum comes from Nicola and at least Nina. one member of her family. Oh, where did I get Nicola from? No idea. Mm. Uh, me either. Uh, Nina, we salute you. Though can one I, can I read, of your brethren... Can I read out the background to that? Because she sent us an email uh, with can, it. Oh, right. But can I just say, though, one of your members of your family, Nina, needs to get on tune. Don't know who it was, but there <laughs> was somebody... <laughs> she says... It needed to be said, Nina. It needed to be said. She said lots of very nice things about us as well, so I won't, I won't say those because they're embarrassing, but thank you very much, Nina. Um, she said, uh, this is a Dumpty Dub recorded at our family gathering last weekend. We call the event The Beef because we eat a huge joint of Hereford beef, perhaps from Rockfield, with the cousins and grandparents we didn't see at Christmas. Just the immediate family, so 20 of us. Four of us are Dumpty Dummers, my parents, Colin and Wendy, and my favourite cousin, John, but don't tell the others. Too late, Nina, I've just done it. The kids, aged 6 to 14, enjoyed joining in and quote of the day was the 14-year-old telling her younger brother, you know that tune you hear on the radio. Anyway, hope you enjoy our tuneless singing. My mum was rather concerned that we sang in about four different keys, but I assured her mm. it didn't matter. Clearly it does matter. Nina, because Royfield <laughs> has picked you up on it. Just saying, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we applaud the effort and uh, maybe next week uh, we'll struggle through it again. No, I mean, we'll enjoy it again. No, it was very good. <laughs> 
Listen, you're, you're a woman in a hurry, uh, Freeman. You best read out the bit in red. If you would like to sing oh, us a Dumpty no. Dum. Oh, what? What? Oh, I'm supposed to say that. That's in black. Very apt. All right, Lucy, if somebody else would like to join Nina and her family and send us in a Dumpty Dum, how can they do that? If you would like to sing us a Dumpty Dum or leave us a plot prediction, then call us on 0203 031 3105 or you can leave us a message on SpeakPipe. Thanks to Cosmo for his podcast roundups, to Mike Hatton for his character counts, Shambridge for her voices, and to Derek the Lone in the Back Bedroom. Uh, Derek's been preparing for the start of the fishing season as the weather is becoming a little more spring-like. Uh, Auntie Cardboard gave his tackle a good going over and he rearranged his flies. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well done. I like a little angling joke. On this week's episode, we hear views from Christopher Witherspoon, Master Miles, Merlin, Claire, Glynn, Young Keith, Emily and Nick. But first, before all that good stuff, is our Juicy Loose and a week in Ambridge. Oh, you know what, Lucy? What? I've got some week in Ambridge news. Have you? How can yeah, you have? tell you about it <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Put me right How can off I have? now. Okay. <laughs> we began the week with Ian and Freddie in the kitchen. Hello, Uncle Ian. May I have some squash, please? Squash? What kind of teenager drinks squash or even says it? Fizzy pop, <laughs> surely, at the very least. Ian said he hadn't got any, but he'd got something that sounded like rhubarb ginger and antifreeze, which Freddie politely said was lovely, thank you. Anyway, Ian was far more concerned about the fact that Hugh has revised the menu at Gay Grable's. It's now all beefy Wellingtons and turkey Twizzlers served on a bed of pickled onion monster munch. I recently went to a restaurant that had a tasting menu that was all things that looked like other things. There was a mushroom in the starter that turned out to be white chocolate. There was a thing that looked like a radish but was actually red cabbage butter. And the ice cream had blue cheese in it. You didn't say, mmm, you said, ah, which is a bit wearing after about a hundred little titchy witchy courses. But I suspect that is exactly what Ian's menu is like. <clears throat> As he has now reached Kate Madikane levels of indifference regarding Paul Zander, who just gets hauled out to everywhere regardless of naps and feeding times, he frog-marched Adam and Zander to a joyless dinner at Gay Grable so he could sneer at the food. This sauce is mm. obvious, he declared. The pie is predictable. The scallops were frankly argumentative and the tilapia was recalcitrant. I'm not paying for this shit. Oh, it's on the house. Bastards! He marched out, gesturing to Adam to follow with the baby carrier, or the big handbag with the prawn in it, as he refers to it. He said breezily that the parental order would be simply a matter of course. I wouldn't bet on it, Mush. First chance you got, you dumped him with his granny for the weekend. You lost him for four hours while a hippie left him in a yurt. And while all the other babies are slobbering on rusks, you're making him eat perno foam as an amuse-bouche. If that poor baby could speak, he'd be desperate to get on the easy jet to Sophia to be with the only person who appeared to show any genuine interest in him. The work on the playground continues apace. Everyone is moaning. Firstly, they moaned because they couldn't use the playground because it was broken. And now they are moaning because it is being fixed. At cost, as everyone keeps reminding each other. <laughs> I may be overly gloomy, but is anyone else hearing the flapping of the wings of the angel of death over Philip? There have been far too many mentions of the happiest I've ever been, blah, blah, blah. In every scene, I imagine him either keeled over his binoculars in the bird hide or laid out flat under the seesaw. Either way, this man is not long for the world, mark my words. Get him out to that registry office, Krusty. First chance you get... Chop, chop, or he'll pop off, 
Gavel turf you out and you'll be bunked up in the room above the shop sleeping in Nokasha's designer bread bin. Talking of Notasha, she seems to have turned from high-flying executive powerhouse to poor little pouty girl. I'm tired, Tom. I don't like driving. I've gone right off trees and fruit. He arranged a cocktail-making night, which managed to sound incredibly unfun. Trying to make conversation after she'd nodded off unconvincingly, then screamed when he woke her up, which gives us a slightly alarming glimpse into their intimate life, Tom announced that he would be spending the next day spreading manure. Bit of a contrast for tonight, she said. No, he said. Both of them are still basically shit. Then, after a few too many gin fizzes, she hiccuped loudly in the back of the cab and said, I know, Tom. I could move all the work to Ambridge. Not the trees. Oh, I couldn't move the trees. Then I could stay in Ambridge. And then I wouldn't have to get up so early. That would be good, wouldn't it? This, for Tom, passes as a well-thought-out <laughs> business plan. So it was all hands to the pump while Natasha quietly vomited into the glove compartment. More news from the Welsh with poor Philip, who, as well as fixing the playground roundabout, appears to be on a marital one himself. Crusty's making Peggy Woolley and her etch-a-sketch will look decisive. I want to get married, <laughs> Philip, like Tom and Natasha, she said. OK, then, said Philip. Actually, no, I don't. I've got a headache. Let's go for a walk instead. OK, then, said Philip. Actually, my headache's gone now, so now I do want to get married. OK, then, said Philip. <laughs> I'm starting to have sympathy with Gav. I also had sympathy with Philip when he announced, I'm not interested in Helen and Lee. Neither are the rest of us, Philip, but if we have to put up with them, I don't see why you should get out of it, just because you're going to die next Wednesday or similar. It is no coincidence <laughs> that Krusty's flip-flopping in her desire to be the newly widowed Mrs. Philip Moss came as a direct result of a conversation with Helen, again with the Helen advice. OK, you may have made a pig's ear of a few small things in your life, Krusty, but for the love of God, surely you can find a better mentor than a woman with a boyfriend so thick he won't go to a Burns Night event because he thinks it involves actual burns. Jazza said... <laughs> Jazza said Jimus wanted to see an ancient ruin, so he popped up to the laurels to say hello to Auntie Cardboard, but she was far too busy doing her dance class. It's pole dancing. They kidnapped one of the pickers that missed the flight home in the poor sod's knackered. Rex has been driving a hooky trailer around, courtesy of Josh Daly. It gradually dawned on him that it was dodgy when its real owner recognised it. He noticed that the chassis number had been rubbed off and it was full of stuff that wasn't his. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Linda is having a field day, taking up cudgels mm. on behalf of the largely not-asked village about the renaming of the Bat Ambridge. She has also <laughs> gone completely berserk with her French pronunciation, or berserk, as she'd probably prefer. There was an enormous amount of over-enunciation of communautaire, au contraire, etc., which is always an indicator that Linda is in an incredibly good mood, as she always has, as she always is, when she has a petition to wave about, or petition. Mm. It was the Battle of the Burns. Uh, the Bat Ambridge gave us a lacklustre evening of warmed through black pudding, a turnip, Justin Elliott giving a keynote presentation on yield figures in pig farming, Roman doing something unpleasant with a haggis, Kenton shouting Billy Connolly jokes through his megaphone, and playing Donald Wears Your Truces on repeat on his iPad. The alternative was the Grange Farm do. <clears throat> I mean, you have to hand it to the Grundies. They are bloody incredible. They have absolutely no money, none, not even for rent. And yet they can organise a Burns <laughs> night for half the village with food, decorations, a quiz, entertainment and music with 24 hours notice. 
Same as Christmas, an entire Christmas fair produced by one harassed woman with flowery hands and a ne'er-do-well in a Father Christmas suit two sizes too big. They are incredible. The loaves and fishes aren't in it. Why aren't they in charge of Glastonbury? They could start on the Wednesday and have it all ready to go by Friday night. Over at the Bat Ambridge, the Burns night was anything but smoking. There's nothing worse than loud music in a quiet room, said Jolene. Oh, there is Jolene. There's you singing in a quiet room. But the pub was not <laughs> going to back down. Lillian declared that they couldn't start doubting themselves. <clears throat> if we give in to this, where's it going to end? She said, I mean, we can't have our customers choosing what they want. That's madness. We're not American. They'll get what they're given and like it. <laughs> After all, a professional man with no socks on told us we had to do this, and so we will, despite the fact that I grew up in this pub and you've both run it for donkey's years. I mean, if we give in to the village on this, then it would be like Radio 4 listening to his audience, and we cannot have that. The end. Oh, well done. That's a drive. Brilliant. Excellent. Well Brilliant. Done. You sounded like Johnny then. However. Brilliant. What? Yes, what? Um, you read that at a clip, didn't you? you Did I? You speed read that. Yo, oh, sorry. On. You didn't even draw breath, Lucy. Oh, God. Okay, everyone, you'll have to play that half speed. Sorry. <laughs> or is it won't make any sense. Right. Uh, now, I know that you've, uh, you've got a big night ahead of you or something or another. You've got no, a I've got date to pick with my a daughter up or something. All. Now I've got to pick my a daughter up. pint of ale. Okay. Either way, uh, big night. So, uh, very quickly, <laughs> week in Ambridge news. Um, Dumpty Dums will be going up on YouTube um, at some point this week uh, with a special slot uh, for the week in Ambridge. Those will be clips on their own, folks. So oh. if you search for Lucy V. Freeman's week in Ambridge by the end of the week, uh, they'll be up on YouTube. Uh, Am you'll I get a YouTuber? five minutes of glory. Mm? <gasps> I'm a YouTuber. My children will go berserk. Well, not yet you're not, because I haven't put them up yet. But oh. by the end of the week, you'll be a YouTuber. You'll be like, yeah, them YouTubers. Wow. So it'll be exciting times. You'll be able to get the podcast on YouTube. But, but as I said, more importantly than that, uh, just five minutes of Glorious Lucy every week up on the YouTubes. Uh, so if you can't be fussed with the rest of the show, Indiscar's going to have the best bit, and uh, which is just me cackling along. I think that's the best bit of the show. <laughs> Yay! Right, now, um, um, I'm going to slightly do things um, arse over tip this week, and we're going to have this call, and it will make sense later. Hello from Merlin to everyone in Dumpty Dum Land. I'm currently at JFK Airport waiting to go to Rome. I have a G&T in hand, which is good because I've tried this recording so many times I am at the point of giving up. Anyway, brighter things. Thinking about uh, the arches. I loved Lucy's point about everyone chasing after each other and not giving them space to have a moment to breathe. So I think it is absolutely essential now that the scriptwriters do a Silent Arches episode just for Lucy. <laughs> no one talking for 13 minutes. It'll be one of the best episodes ever. I have been thinking of becoming your resident veterinary surgeon and this is a one-off. I'm not going to tell anyone this ever again but my real name is Alistair. It was very weird Ooh. when Alistair came to be a vet at the Arches and my family still haven't quite recovered from the shock. Anyway, I thought I'd be a resident vet but Lucy did such a good job of explaining what farmers are like, how they feel about their animals and how they can get stressed and upset 
the, it's obviously completely unnecessary. Neil being stressed about putting down a pig was very accurate. As to the arches itself, I loved the trip down memory lane, thinking about the bull in old times, thinking about Walter Gabriel, thinking about people singing the village pump. That was an absolutely wonderful moment, and if nothing else, made listening to the whole week worthwhile. Although I know it split some people, personally, I did think that the team building retreat was also great fun. Take care, everyone. I'll speak to you soon. Now, that was Merlin, aka Alistair. The other bet, last week. I repeat, last week. He didn't quite make the episode. All will be revealed as the reason why I squeeze that in uh, oh. this week later. Now, right. um, why don't we do this now, Lucy? It's somewhat of an advertisement. Hello, you two. Uh, it's Dr Nicola Hedlam here of Academic Archers, and I am doing my characteristic begging thing. I hope Lucy has been <laughs> plugging the hell out of the conference. It is have, in have, have, have. three weeks, four weeks, or oh, a few weeks. Soon, anyway, in Reading. So very convenient for all you Southern uh, Archers fans. A little less convenient for the rest of us, but um, we do move around, as you know, in Sheffield last year. So it's the annual plug. Come along. Academic Archers is the kind of embodiment of the anarchic and extremely uh, learned spirit of the Twitterlong and Duntydum, and we are a two-day kind of archers fest. So if you haven't been along, then please do join us. We have some Duntydum royalty. We have Claire Asprey, Mia and others, and we know that Mia Fox is joining us, Michael Rowan and others who are adamant listeners to Dumpty Dum say, this is like a bit like saying hello to your mum on the radio. We also <laughs> have Lucy V. Freeman doing our after dinner on a Saturday night, which we are so delighted about. So, uh, yeah, essentially, this is just a long advert for Academic Archers in Reading. Um, find all the stuff on Ticket Taylor, as I hope Lucy has mentioned. And we'd just love to see you there. And uh, we will be doing the live listen on the Sunday morning and trying to get the tweet along trending and all that malarkey. Thanks very much, Lucy and Roy, for uh, indulging this commercial message. And I uh, hope to see everybody at Academic Archers. Bye. Bye. Right. Now, <gasps> let's... I'm really excited. Um, uh, so you should be. So I you know. should be, yes. Mrs. Right, now, let's start the calls properly with a little bit of this now. Hello, Ambridge3962. Top of the shop. It's our Merlin, part deux. Hello, everyone <laughs> in Dumpty Dumland. This is Merlin, currently reporting in from Paris for a change. So last week's message never made it through. I did try and leave some information, but hey, it didn't make it. Possibly a good thing. Technical problems, airport, gin and tonic, combination of all those things. Yeah. May have been better that you never heard it. It does mean that you missed out on a one-time revelation, which ah. will forever go unheard. Hey, mystery. <laughs> but on to Thanks, the archers. <laughs> I currently feel like the archers is on steroids. Storylines are happening over weeks rather than months. They're just mm -hmm. all rushing through. We had the Tom and Joy and that whole 
story just went completely crazy. Now we seem to have Kirsty and Phil, which is just bouncing all over the place that it's impossible to follow. And who cares? It really is too much. So, yeah, let's come off the steroids and just calm down a little bit. And then we've got the Josh story. So is Josh innocent? Our survey said, "Uh uh-uh. I don't think he's fully guilty. (laughs) He can't be fully guilty, but there's no way he doesn't understand what's going on. We have to wait and see. That's the mystery of the archers. Mm. Thanks for calling back, Alistair. Um, (laughs) Right, Lucy. (laughs) Is Josh a total wrong'un? Well, did this all happen on Sunday? Because all I know is that he's been—he's given Rex um, <clears throat> the who. If anybody was set up to be a stooge, it's Rex, isn't it? He's the one who'd mm. you know he'd be handed that. Well, someone said, "Just hold this for me" by a bank robber, and then the bank robber runs off, and Alistair and Rex is found waving the gun around. Um, he's been—he's just had a trailer that's had the um, had the chassis number filed off. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we don't know anything more than that. Well, he's Josh seems to be pr- pretty kind of um uh vague about his friends. He refers to people as friends and then says, "Oh, I don't know them that well." When uh, you mm. know, we sort of challenged about it. He doesn't seem to be very um uh, he doesn't seem to discriminate, shall we say. Uh so are we say are we assuming that this J person, the one who ram-raided <laughs> the cash machine with the flipping Digger, um, is he is he hooky? Is he just passing him stolen vehicles? Is that mm. what we think? There's two lines um, to this whole level of criminality. There is the I can borrow this. I'm going to borrow this uh, truck, this vehicle, and I'm going to use it for ill-gotten gains. Mm. Then there is where is he getting them from? Mm. You know, he being Josh. Mm. So it's it's not necessarily that the two are the same source by any stretch of the imagination, though I suppose you could, in effect, uh, use Josh as a way of washing, giving a different um, history to, to the vehicle. So it is possible that actually it could, could be the same source. It could be different, could be could be the same source, thinking about it off the top of my head, that you could get them from somebody, I've stolen them, you, I sell them to you, we get rid of the chassis number, you provide some level of paperwork that it's come from wherever, and then I take it back and then, you know, uh, do this crime with it. That is possible, I suppose. But mm. I, 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 like this, I like this turn with Josh, with the character of mm. Josh, that he's going to be the errant uh, fly-by-night dodgy archer because the archers per se the brookers archers lot are always whiter than white aren't they you know in terms of you know they're good upstanding people whatever character flaws they do have are just one's a little bit more irksome than the other but fundamentally uh they're all good so if we're gonna have a real criminal at brookfield i i applaud that i say bring it on <laughs> you know, it's going to add a, li- <laughs> add a little bit of interest. So far, all we've had is an old woman chucking a flapjack about. So it'd be nice to have, that, you know, a proper one, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, exactly. You know, we've said this before, jokes aside, that because the Brookers Archers lot are the premier archer mm. scion of the Archers, and they family, are very smug, 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 smug. It would be nice for them to come also, crashing down. 
boring. They're kind of boring. Mm. You know, yeah. they're not like, you know, the home farm lot, the bridge farm lot, much more interesting as a bunch yeah. of characters. You yeah. know, the Brookers lot, fundamentally, it's a snooze fest. Fundamentally. Mm. You know, and we get it. They've been written that way because they are, fun, you know, they are the royal family of, yeah. of yeah. Ambridge. Yeah. <clears throat> and... It's all about inheritance and, and the farm and being steady. They're a steady lot of characters. Mm. So I, I say bring this on. <laughs> but then Josh thievery, is going to be the black... <laughs> Josh is going to be the black sheep in the way that Kenton was, I suppose. I object to black being a pejorative, being oh, the sorry. ethnic minority host of this show. Gosh, I had never thought of that. Sorry. Mm. What can I say instead that's acceptable? Uh, I really don't care using black as a pejorative. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't can care. I, now I've, now I've know, already been inappropriate. That's... Can I continue to be inappropriate and read you out an email that really made me laugh? Uh, just Ash before from... you do, I am woke, but I'm not that woke, everyone. Okay. Anyway, go on. Um, you're woke, but still dozing. Um, Ash there from Broccoli um, said, uh, I was so pleased to hear Lucy remind us of the porn remake of Saving Private. Ryan, shaving Ryan's privates was inventive, but my personal favourite was the gay porno called Men in Black Men. <laughs> and please tell can me, I, can I be quite lady, lady I, whose nine-year-old child is listening to this, please tell me that he didn't just hear that. Anyway, yes. <laughs> when that email came through, not only did I spit my coffee over my laptop screen, I then tried to Google that film. And no! I <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold my hand up. I tried to Google it and Google failed me. Or more to the point, I wasn't Googling extensively. I gave up after like the first page. But I, I, I literally, I had to get a, a wet wipe and wipe my <laughs> laptop. I'm glad the wet wipe was only for the coffee, to be honest. <laughs> It was only for the coffee. <laughs> anyway, uh, well done, Merlin part deux. And, uh, I, I, I also uh, ha- have a Merlin. I, can I have a Merlin thing as well? Mm, go on then. Um, this is from Paul Robinson of Guildford, not Erinsborough. Um, he ah. says uh, he heard a piece about uh, tail biting and docking on farming today. Um, mm. The farmer demonstrating tail docking said that tail biting is the most hideous thing if you ever see it where the pig is eaten from the point of the tail until the pig dies. Ooh. Docking is done as a last resort. Uh, he said, if you want to hear it, and why wouldn't you? It's is on BBC Sounds and starts 10 minutes, 30 seconds into the programme and lasts about four minutes. There are no gory descriptions. On another lighter note, in last week's Dumpty Dum, I seem to recall Royfield said something about Dumpty Dum listeners being a cut above TV soap followers. I thought this rather ironic, because two or three weeks ago, Dumpty Dum was running an ad for a TV channel that specialises in reality TV, such as Love Island and Keeping Up with the Kardashians. <laughs> At the time, I thought if the Dumpty Dum demographic was people who follow the Kardashians, I'm listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> yes, sorry about that. As we keep saying, we have got no control over, we don't know what the adverts are until the show goes out. They put them in, we don't. So there we go. Mm. Yes. But you are right. definitely not uh, listening to the wrong podcast. You are listening to absolutely the right podcast. Probably the best podcast on planet Earth. I'd say Earth. so. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, now let's have a touch of Emily. Hi, everybody. This is Emily phoning in. 
I'm actually calling to say a big thank you to you all for keeping me company. Um, I've just in the process of relocating from the UK to Abu Dhabi and it's been a bit lonely some days. So I've downloaded lots of previous episodes of Dum to Dum and it's lovely and it's um, a good companion when I'm driving around the desert trying to get things to work like wi-fi and finding the gas man and buying a car and all of that stuff so yes thank you people talk about this community and uh, the impact it has and it really does so thank you suppose I should give my opinion on what I think is happening in the arches at the moment I think it's a bit boring if I'm honest I don't know if they're gearing up for a biggie something with Philip maybe Philip and Kirsty I really hope Philip's a goodie but I think I don't know if it's just Royfield getting in my head but I think he might not be that's quite stressful Gab's awful oh just awful horrible man and Kirsty don't have conversations without other people there with him because I think he's going to manipulate things and don't like him mm. quick one last week Justin trying to get the three rewilding goons back together and doing his pep talk with Pip I found this awful Justin has been characterized into this 90s power you know what happens <laughs> in the boardroom I'm going to screw people over old school kind <laughs> of vibe no, please can we have someone come in and be a legitimate and authentic and nice business person, man or woman. They don't have to screw people over. And really quickly, uh, Natasha and Tom, just horrendous. Good luck to you for that one. Thanks all. Bye. Mm. Bye. Abu Dhabi. Hmm. Uh, anything you want to get your teeth into there, Freeman? Um, <clears throat> I, I like the idea of you driving around the desert listening to us. Emily, it's a nice idea. Um, I still can. I have tried to enter your strange conspiracy theory about Philip Royfield. Your world of it's not strange. Your 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 twitchy twitchy blinky world of conspiracy theories. Last but week I you said like you were hearing evidence everywhere. No, because because of you. Because, like Emily said, you got it into because the evidence put it in there, her head. That's why. No, honestly, I still don't think there's anything wrong with him. I think he's a nice bloke. I think he's going to die, I but I think say... he's a nice bloke. I never said he wasn't a nice guy. First off, I said maybe he's What is that noise got... behind you? Is it your appliance? Uh, leaf blower, leaf blower oh, again. okay. Yeah. But you've spoiled it for the people on the flick app now. Oh, sorry. About... You've, you've, out... you've outed exactly what it is. Uh, we might have to change the time or maybe the day of recording Dum Dee Dums, because obviously... They do this. This is leaf blowing um, day. At, at twenty past eleven, twenty past eleven every Monday, hmm. Californian time. Or maybe people just like it. It's kind of comforting <laughs> to hear some kind of buzzing in the background. Anyway, um, when I first came up with this observation about our Philip, that there is stuff about money, I put together uh, fundamentally two strands. So. There is the I've bought the house and um, you don't have to uh, you don't have to contribute to the mortgage, Kirsty, And all the other little hints about money, which Philip has talked about, of which Gavin and the fact that Gavin called Kirsty a gold digger. Mm. And you don't know how much money my father's got. He can afford, etc. And then he has ponied up the money or is he's going to after telling Gavin, don't speak to Kirsty like that. 
Gavin is getting the 30k. We know that. And there have been other little strands about money as well. And then I put it together with the fact that we have heard him being offhand and brusque twice to employees. And then as Kirsty has walked in, he has kind of corrected himself. Another bit of evidence about him and the workers is that he's obviously uh, he obviously has a relationship of sorts with other building firms and then could get people who have down tools at gyms to go back to gyms. So I'm not saying that that's necessarily uh, nefarious or he is some kind of uh, gangster overlord in the building business, but there is something there. And then on Burns Night, his workers were invited to, um, to Linda's and he didn't extend the invitation to them. He didn't. He did. He they said they had busy up. lives and they couldn't come. That's what he said. That's what well, he how said do you know to that's Linda. Not, how do you know that's not because what really happened? it makes my theory more valid if right. he didn't extend the invitation to them. Something I noticed was that he said, if half of this work comes in, we'll be able to go on a big holiday. He said that to mm. Kirsty. So that's on top of the 30 grand that he's already given to Gavin. As I... Every little aside mm. that Gavin makes is about Moolah. Mm. There's a reason for these little seeds to be planted there. Mm. Not saying he's a criminal overlord. Yeah, but I think it is that Philip's going to die, the seesaw's going to collapse on his head or something, and he'll have a heart attack mm. and he'll die. And Kirsty, they'll have only just got married... Or it won't have been. It won't be legal or something. Then there'll be some massive legal wrangle because they'll turn. It'll turn out that Lynn he's Gav. absolutely minted, and that mm. Kirsty then owns half the money, and Gavin will get cross and take her to court and blah blah blah. Well, either way, it's about money. Yeah, but it's not a. He's not a wrong un. I don't think he's a wrong un. I really don't. But why is he being all offhand and gangster like with people? And then Kirsty comes in and he corrects himself. This has happened at least once, if not twice. There is, there is. Listen, I said he's just a an uninvolved builder, isn't he? Oh shush! Listen, I said a couple of weeks ago, the dude is in love with Kirsty. That's fact. There's been enough scenes which have been uh, sweet, heartfelt. All the fairy lights in the bloody hovel or whatever the hell it was. All that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I'm not saying. That he doesn't truly, truly love Kirsty. And I think it's great that they're writing him, considering that this character has been around for, what, two years now and has literally done nothing up until now. Mm. And we're just like, what is the point of Philip that we're slowly but surely scratching away and revealing some, some depth, if I'm not mixing all my metaphors here and stuff. There is something... And he has a family and he has this relationship with his son and his son is a bit of a shit bag. He leaves his laptop in, in, in a cupboard. It's all this kind of weirdness. There is something going on. I'm not saying he is a criminal mastermind, but I don't trust him, Luce. You know, not with my Kirsty. Don't trust him. Anyway, <laughs> moving swiftly on. Made me point. Now let's have Glyn. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glenn here. 
First of all, as it's still just about January and it's my first call in of 2020, may I wish everybody in Dumpty Dumland a very happy new year. Moving on from that to the archers. Um, first of all, can I say that I thought the um, Jim Lloyd story this week, his trip to the funeral with Alistair and Jazza and his meeting with Michael um, at the grave side the day after, that was all beautifully done. Um, uh, the archers at its best and congratulations to all involved, uh, actors, writers, editors and so on. Um, but apart from the Jim Lloyd story, I think I share the frustration of many Archers listeners that the stories at the moment are a bit daft or a bit uh, a, a bit, little bit boring. But when we go through these periods, often the scriptwriters are sowing seeds of stories that are going to come back and surprise and entertain us later. And I think that might well be the case at the moment. Um, my prediction is that this is going to be an Annus Horribilis for the Archer family, as in the Archers of Brookfield. Um, the first reason for that is um, the Grundys had a very good Christmas. The Grundy world of Christmas was a success, and um, Oliver then you know, gave them Grange Farm. And uh, when, the, when the Grundys are prospering, the luck must have changed, the Archers must suffer. Um, and we have, <laughs> I think, the makings of... Um, a storyline with Josh and uh, criminal activity, uh, Pip and disasters of rewilding, David and Ruth and disasters with the wedding barn experience. So let us see. Thank you very much. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Glenn. And he's gone. Mm-hmm. I think he's right. There's a lot of things being um, being uh, set in train, I think. A lot of, um, what are they called, hairs being started. So we'll see. Hmm. I think the Josh um, one I'm... is one. I think Philip is one. I think um, what else? Yeah, various others. Also I think the bull. Like... The bull. I think mm. the bull will end up going bankrupt. Really? Mm. And it will be saved by somebody unexpected. I could actually see in the fullness of time. I could see Ed and Emma running the bull. When they get back together again. Really? Yep. She really liked it. She's got the right, Emma's got the kind of, she's got that catering background, the hospitality background with Fallon. She knows that she said, oh, didn't it look lovely, Jolene, when it was all, you know, all the glassware and all all that. She was sort of commenting on it. And I think she'd be good at it, actually. She's got the right combination of warmth, but also she's really tough. Hmm. Well, you know, in terms of describing her character and being um, a good landlady, I, I think I think you're spot on. Um, I just don't quite know how mm. you get from where all the characters are now to her <clears throat> yeah. being installed as the landlady. Yeah. <laughs> well, so look, I didn't I say can... I did detail, did I? I just, <laughs> I just say <laughs> it's all big picture with me. There's no... Yes. <laughs> um, I also quite like... Uh, Glyn and his kind of cosmic scales of karma. 
Yes. So um, if the archers are, are doing shittily, that means the, the Grundys can rise do, and do yeah. well. And, you know, and vice versa. Well, that's a seesaw. So. This whole show is about seesaws. It's the cosmic seesaw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's the playground uh, being done up again. Right, Glyn, uh, Happy New Year to you. Uh, first call of 2020, all of that top of the morning. Now let's go to the middle of the Pacific Ocean and let's have a little touch of our Claire. Hello, Lucy Royfield and the Dumpty Demo Hana. This is Claire for the last time from Hawaii, coming oh. to you from a very echoey and empty house. Uh, my life is currently sitting in uh, crates, portside in Honolulu, ready for its um, journey across the Pacific. So I just wanted to say thanks again for part two on uh, Hawaiian history. Um, you are quite correct. Hawaii is the only place in the United States that has royal palaces on its soil. Um, I cannot confirm or deny if any members of the royal family still live there, because they are in fact very interesting museums now. Um, But there are currently two branches of royal family descendants uh, living these days. Um, With regards to sort of like the relationship, I'd, I'd say there's probably a... An amenable, yet slightly fractious relationship between Hawaiians and the mainlanders. I possibly got a little bit more leeway because I was a bit of a novelty being a Brit. Um, But it's just a really sad history. Um, You know, like many conquered people, you know, unfairly. But that's one of those things that... You know, we could leave for another day, but um, yeah, they're they're great people, they're gracious people, they're very friendly and loving, and you know, it's very sad what happened, and you know, there is an independence movement, whether or not that achieves anything or not, I don't really know, but um, I like the fact that they're very proud of their heritage, and there's been a Hawaiian cultural renaissance, and I'm going to have to sign off. So I'll see you on the other side. Bye. Bye. I forgot um, where she's going. Where is she going? New Zealand. Where's her next country? Oh, New Zealand. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Quentin in New Zealand did send me a message a couple of weeks ago. I think he DM'd me and said, could I possibly put them in contact? And I have. So hopefully oh, there'll good. be a little dum-de-dum meet-up good, in, good, good. Uh, in the North or South Island. My Yay. last little bit of um, Hawaiian historical knowledge is that um, in the 19th century, so the early 19th century, uh, the Hawaiian islands get united by a king whose name I completely forget. So all the various different islands are, are within the one kingdom. And I presume this is, be- I presume this then happened um, in that uh, because the, the the Hawaiians, the Hawaiian royalty had nobody to marry into, uh, but basically they married themselves. So it was always cousins marrying each other and very close cousins. So the Hawaiian royal family, uh, the lineage in the 19th century, I don't think there was ever a father or a mother succeeded by one of their children because literally all of them were infertile. It was always oh, um, a, a cousin who then married another cousin. Yeah. Then it was, an, it was incredibly weird. It was just like the Egyptian royal family. So they had loads of weird and wonderful 
not too bright um, Hawaiian royals. But though the last queen of Hawaii was incredibly uh, bright and smart and charismatic and the Americans just shafted her and just took, took, the, uh, took the islands um, away from her. But uh, she's always remembered kind of quite fondly by Hawaiians. Uh, moving swiftly on, Claire, um, safe journey with you and your family. Hope you yeah. and Quentin uh, give us can some, meet up. Give, give us three rings when you get there, just so that we know you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, from Claire from Hawaii, uh, we go uh, to uh, from one ancient kingdom to another one that might also become independent. It's our Christopher. It's the man with the voice. Hello, everybody. Um, this is Christopher, um, where I've just had a pot of extremely sweet tea um, and a big slab of carrot cake. So I apologise if I seem a bit giddy. I was prompted to call in actually by a call that you had a couple of weeks ago by Andrew where he was talking about how the scriptwriter seemed to have been emasculating Jazzer. And it occurred to me that I have never felt that Jazzer is even in the slightest bit masculine. He plays to the gallery. Mm of the masculine man. And I suppose it depends on your definition of masculinity. If we take masculinity to be someone who drinks lots of beer and sleeps with lots of women, then he's masculine. But if you take the traditional notion of masculinity as that Gary Cooper-esque, strong, silent, stoical type, or a modern audience might think of someone like Tom Hardy, then Jazzer does not fit that mould at Uh all. He is tremendously sensitive, partly in the positive sense of the way he um, is sensitive to the emotions of of Jim and Alistair, but also in the sense that he is hugely thin-skinned. He flies off the handle. He is not able to handle any criticism. He's also a terrible gossip. Um, uh, So he does play to the gallery in this sense of blokishness. But actually, as a person, he is not masculine one bit. Mm. I don't know what you think about that. Um, Love the show. Bye. Mm. I totally agree with that. But I know what both of them mean, though. I know what Andrew means in that Jazzer is sort of about... uh, He likes his status as a young man. But he doesn't necessarily have the characteristics of a particular... He's not an alpha male at all, I don't think. He's quite happy to sit back and let other people, you know, do the heroics. But he just quietly gets on and does his thing. He's not a. He's not like um, Toby, who is quite an alpha male. Hmm. Toby's not an alpha male, Luce. You don't think? Nah. Nah. Beta. Is is, uh, is is Toby? Um, oh. I Brian think... is an alpha male. Brian completely. Brian, Brian is a silverback. Completely. Yeah, silverback mm. gorilla completely. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting observation about Jazza, and in in effect, we the listeners like Jazza despite his old-fashioned outward displays of masculinity. And also, 
we like him despite the fact that his character is massively underserved, has mm. been underserved. Normally, with 2D characters, because fundamentally, Jazzer is 2D, if not 2.5D. Mm. He never has a storyline which is about him. Mm. He's, yeah. always an, he's always an adjunct. He's always yeah. some kind of prop, plot to move... He's also some device, sorry, to move the plot on slightly, but it's never about him. And the closest we've come recently to a plot being about him is through the Jim storyline mm. with how it's, it's affected him and his sense of powerlessness. Yeah. He loves Jim that much. And, and I think you said this back in the summer, Jazz's frame of reference is to go and grab the person and beat mm. to you know, beat the shit out of them. Mm. But he can't do that, mm. right? So he's struggling as to how, not only to cope with his feelings and emotions, be there for Jim, but also to rectify the situation. Mm. And that's the closest we've come to a Jazza storyline in forever that I can remember. I did you love know. the writing this this week of that, the Jazza and um, and Jim and, uh, and Alistair, that road trip. Alistair being really gentle with them when they're teasing him about the uh, the um, uh, signing up Ghost to the stories. dating agency oh, and yeah. no 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 signing up to the and um, and Jazza supports Jim in a really lovely way. Alistair does the sort of the kind of more counselling-y sort of stuff and says, "If it's too much for mm. you, Dad, it's okay. You've got to forgive yourself." And Jazza just says, "You're doing great. You're doing great. You're brilliant." You know, it's mm. just very kind of straightforward and very kind of like Alistair said, I'm impressed with you. I'm so impressed with you. I've been really impressed with how you behaved. And, da, 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 da. and Jazza just goes, you're the man. And it's just really lovely. It's mm-hmm. just really the combination of all three of them is just gorgeous. And it's, somebody said it was like um, uh, Last of the Summer Wine. You know, <laughs> it's like them all going off on a, but a sort of a more thoughtful version of Last of the Summer Wine. It's this sort of this nice mix of these characters. And um, you sort of wanted them to go, go off for a more, ha- for a, a hap- on a, for a happier reason, you know. I'd happily listen to, the, listen to them, all three of them go off on holiday together. You know, I'm trying to think, and I could be wrong here, so we need a Cosmo or somebody to, to call me out on this. But I can't think of a group of male characters who are as close as these three actually are, that their relationship isn't actually fractious. So mm. we've had Joe and Bert, there's always this kind of like faux yeah. cod. Competitive. You know, yeah. enmity. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Whereas these three, right, mm. fundamentally, oh yeah, there's a little bit between Jim and, uh, and Alice, a little bit. But that's kind of in the rear view mirror now, isn't it? Mm. That Jim realises... Um, the love that his son has for him and, and he's mm. been able to display it as well. Jim has mm. been able to display it and, and be very appreciative of Alistair. And a listener to Dumby Dum some time ago said, did basically say this is a, you know, oh, I'm kind of massively paraphrasing, but this is a, it's really nice to see kind of like three men written, written in this way. You know, they mm. shouldn't all get on, but they do. And there's lots of warmth and heart. You know, and uh, mm. long may it continue. But just to come back onto the whole kind of jazzer thing and, and masculinity, uh, really interesting observations. Um, 
But I would say that Jazza is in our affections as listeners, despite the best intentions of the writers, really. You know, we, 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 still, we still go with him, even though, on the face of it, he is a sexist uh, clod. On, on the face of it, you know, mm. he is, you know, he's got his milk round, he goes from, you know, uh, customer to customer and uh, deposits more than just the milk in the morning, you know, type <laughs> of thing, you know. So, uh, but we go, oh, we like you, Jazza, you know, and, um, yeah, he can be a bit of a blunderbuss. So when we do see those uh, softer, subtle sides to him, um, he endears himself to us all the more. Shall we have Francesca now? Yes. Hello, it's Francesca here from Cardiff. You said I sounded like Caris Matthews before. Can't hear her myself, but okay. <laughs> Just be listening to the episode with Tom and Natasha and Phil and Kirsty, and they were talking about Burns Night on Saturday. Well, obviously the uh, scriptwriters haven't done much research because if they did, they'd know that the 25th of January is also yeah. Santa's Doing Wednesday. And uh, the two Welsh characters did not mention that, but we're talking about Burns Night. Anyway, I'll leave you to Google that. Santa Stone Wednesday. Bye. It's mm. Welsh Valentine's Day. Uh... And uh, they, yeah, they didn't. Because we had a little bit of Welsh, didn't we, with them wishing each other Happy New Year and everything. Um, Natasha and uh, Philip. Uh, and I wondered if they would, mm-hmm. you know, sort of have them saying something about it, but they didn't. Nobody said anything about it. So, yeah. Isn't that somewhat ironic, considering that the script writer that wrote that week was Welsh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Kerry. <laughs> so now you're listening. Yours listen, and it's a week when, the, when you've written. It's a Kerry week. So. Yeah. Hello, Kerry. Hello. All right. All right. Uh, now, we're on the home, we're on the home straight now. Uh, with caller in us and uh, there's Francesca in Wales and true to the international nature of uh, Dum De Dum we've had Scotland we've had Hawaii we've had England we've had uh, Merlin sipping cocktails about to go to Paris or some something or another we've had Dubai now we're gonna go to the good old US of A and it's our Master Miles Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Master Miles calling from a cold and gray and rainy, but somehow still beautiful day in upstate New York. The best thing on the Archers this week was definitely Jim. Not only was the storyline of this ragtag boys club uh, family of choice of Jazzer and Alistair and Jim going up north to confront Jim's demons, uh, beautifully written and well acted, and the resolution with meeting Michael by the graveside was a little contrived, but completely satisfying emotionally. So bravo to the writers for that. Also, Jim had the funniest line of the week when he said that Alistair's teenage celebrity crush was one of the ABBA, (laughs) as though it's a strange and ancient uh, Italian uh, tribe or something. And speaking of ancient Italians, we also had Roman Trench, who sounds like a fortification of some kind. (laughs) And another goddamn competition between the Grundies and the pub at Ambridge, final name to be determined. I don't know why the scriptwriters have to create these incredibly contrived rivalries, but here we are. 
This rivalry was actually livened up by being embodied mostly by Lillian and Linda Snell, which always makes a good, uh-huh. you know, sort of scenery-chewing plotline, except in the climactic episode in which the actual Burns Night events were happening, neither of those two cast members was on, so it all looked a bit confused. But we did get the spectacle of the on-again, off-again marriage of Kirsty and Philip. Now, he said something about getting all of this extra work, which was going to make their honeymoon possible. Does he have the money or doesn't he? We'll find out soon, I hope. That's all from me. Bye. Ooh. Yes, one of the Abba, <laughs> one of the Abbas <laughs> really made me laugh as well. And I, I think I, that, 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 I agree, that was very very odd that Lillian and Linda because Lillian and Linda are Map and Lucia of Ambridge and they're always set up in rivalry whenever there's a social event or a competition or something mm. and um it's so it's it was just like he said they they embody the competition that is being held in their name sort of thing and it's very odd then not to have those two actors in the scene itself it's very strange mm. um when he said he was like one of the Abbas, I thought mm. like this is Abba Shanti, the uh, roots rock reggae sound system. <laughs> but there's only actually one Abba Shanti. <laughs> actually, I did actually think of that. So it's funny how you, you might, then, your mind yeah. goes to your your, your cultural points. And then I liked points, it when like, Jazza said, "Was it the one with the beard?" <laughs> <laughs> well. Abashanti does have a big beard. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Uh, (laughs) Right, as I said, we're in the home stretch, upper, lower, east, west side. It's our Witherspoon. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Lucy Royfield, Millie Bell, Yoko Bear, and all Dumpty Dumbers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. First, I'd like to channel my inner Linda and tell Lucy and Royfield that you received bad advice. I love when our hosts chat about anything and everything, and I love a long show. I believe the great majority of Dumpty Dummers agree with me, so may I suggest a petition. An example of going <laughs> off the beaten path. Last month, Royfield mentioned that he hates the gray hairs he's been getting in his beard since he turned 50. All I'll say is, wait till you see the first gray hairs in your eyebrows when you turn 60. <laughs> On to the excellent past week in Ambridge. First off, I stick with what I say about Philip. I was at least supported for now by the scriptwriters at the end of the week, but we will see. My ego does allow for the possibility that I could be wrong about him. However, we do need ongoing characters in the village, and if Philip is a baddie and has to slink off, then that's one less permanent resident of Ambridge. Next, emotionally, I, as we all were, happy to hear Jim's abuse storyline wrap up satisfactorily. But I did feel that his running into a fellow abuse victim at the cemetery was a bit deix machina, too neat and tidy. In life outside of Ambridge, Jim may have been struggling in group therapy for a while, but that's the way it goes in Archerland sometimes. Final thoughts. Wasn't Ian Mr. Grumpy Pants this week? It was his responsibility as a longtime friend of Helen to be welcoming to Lee and then to keep his mouth shut to Helen. And as someone married to a restaurant owner, my strong advice is not to go to the restaurant for dinner where you are the head chef on sabbatical. Of course (laughs) you would be critical and unsatisfied. While I go to Norwood for dinner, I go with Dumpty Dummers and other friends and leave the husband at home. 
Talk to you soon. I must admit, I was, I was somewhat disappointed with, with our Ian, but I have been uh, for some time. Uh, but yes, it was very obviously uh, going to be a meal of which was only going to serve him a whole plate full of frustration and angst. You know, going uh, going back there, you know, to sample the wares of uh, what the new chef's been uh, serving up mm. in his absence. You know. Yeah. He was never going to go. Oh, that was one. That was a wonderful meal. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> it's better than mine. Yes. <laughs> With Charlotte, my my sister, he's a, he was a chef. Says, um, uh, you know, <clears throat> chefs are massive. Is that, are you talking They're about huge, my, my favourite Freeman? Your favourite Freeman, yeah. Um, I love your yeah, sister. Yeah, she was said that the the she's um, really nice. The, <laughs> the <laughs> chefs are massive divas. Warm. That's what she said. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So, are, are we done? Done with with a spoon now? Because I'm looking. Yeah. I've got an eye on the time, Lucy. Right. I know. Um, last call. It's our young Keith. Hello, young Keith here. <clears throat> I was having dinner with my father last night, and um, one of the few things we have in common is uh, is the archers. And we were talking about this and that. He's a rabbi. He's an old rabbi. He's a sort of a sort of corduroy trousers and moustache and he's not a wide-brimmed hat type of rabbi he's just a very (laughs) casual rabbi and um he said ask that show of yours what is the archer's standpoint on the holocaust (laughs) which (laughs) really took me back took me took me not took me back took me uh, back took me by surprise because i have no idea what he means by that i don't know (laughs) <laughs> what the archer standpoint on the Holocaust is, but I thought it would be uh, rude of me not to put it to you. What is the archer's standpoint on the Holocaust? Ideas, answers on our postcard, I suppose. Hmm. Well, ours is that we're not in favour of it. There we go. That's probably. <laughs> I think I can say that um, without fear of contradiction. Can I not, Ruth? Uh, you, you can, and you just have, and yes. I will. Uh, I will second. <laughs> I was there you go, Keith. You can tell your dad. We're, they we're don't not... like it, Dad. I asked them and they didn't like it. Yes. <laughs> we're not in favour of the Holocaust. No. Uh, and uh, genocide in general. Yeah, we rule uh, that out. Yeah. We haven't got many rules, but that is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we've got a shitload of rules, haven't we? <laughs> um, just before we go on to the, the ads and stuff. Um, can I just say, uh, well done, Mum, uh, for becoming. Uh, she's confirmed as a CV oh, yes, I saw uh, the reader. Yay. Yeah, and um, she was in Bur- Birmingham Cathedral with Aww. the Bishop Birmingham and all the other newly confirmed readers, and she had a wonderful day. And um, yeah, and I just like there's me mum in like proper yeah. like. Religious frock and all sorts. Wow. You know, it's, uh, it's, all, it's all very lovely and Dad's super proud and whatever. Aww. But also thank you to everybody the, who put a little like on that as well. My mum's not on Twitter, um, but she called, called me up on, on Saturday going, Oh, son, I wish you were there. 
and whatever. And I went, I wasn't there, mum, but I did big you up on, on the Twitters and I'd get sent her a screenshot. She went, oh, my God, all these people really like me. They've liked it. And I went, yes, Aww. well, you know. Uh, so uh, so thank you, everybody. Well done, mum. And uh, my mum is basically, well, Shula wants to be my mum, basically. Mm. I think that's that's the moral of that I'd quite story. like to be your mum. <laughs> I think she's very cool. <laughs> Uh, right, folks, uh, that's the end of part one of Dum De Dum. Uh, we're going to rapidly now descend into part two. Part two will commence after some ads with a touch of Millie Bell. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good day, everyone. I'm going to start with a poem that was sent to us by Emma Zukowska. Uh, Please bear with me. I'm not renowned for my um, ability to read out poems out loud, but I'll do my best. It's called The Naked Vet Versus The Stepson From Hell. Alistair's desperate to have a bath. The water's only been off a few hours. As a vet, he's dirty enough to need a bath. No point to a shower. Kirsty pops out conveniently while Alistair baths and whistles a tune. He doesn't use up the special bubbles there to be saved for the honeymoon. Al mutters while dressing, of course, but then he's a noise from the room without. He cautiously heads to the door. It must be a burglar, he has no doubt. Towel clutched tightly, he confronts the man who's come from the wardrobe, laptop in hand. It's a naked vet versus the stepson from hell. And Alistair's making a heroic stand. Gavin laughs at the naked owl and threatens to check if a phone is stashed. Kirsty arrives to defuse the scene and is very lucky not to get flashed. Al disappears and has to hide out while Gav and Kirsty have a good yell. And there is the end of a ballad of woe. The naked vet versus the stepson from hell. Thank you very much for that, Emma. Um, I don't uh, usually get the opportunity to read out poems, so um, I enjoyed that, even if you did not, dear listener. Um, We then talked about uh, the fact that people were giving uh, advice about love, and I wondered whether it's okay to interfere with other people's love lives, um, and whether it's ever okay to give unsolicited love advice. 
Jimmy Wiseman said, now that Helen is happy and confident again, we can see more easily how impaired her judgment really is. Her last super piece of advice to Kirsty was to tackle Gav, which Kirsty pretty much immediately recognised was a mistake. Three-strike rule? Um, Emma Louise Woodhouse said, unless there's something seriously wrong, unsolicited advice is not appropriate. Give your opinion if you really feel you must. Just don't expect the recipient to take heed. Uh, Jed Robinson said, I'd be surprised if any of us could honestly say we've not had similar conversations with our closest friends. And uh, the vote went against me there because I can honestly say I never have given anybody um, advice about their love life. I have bit my tongue a lot, but I've never given my advice, but apparently a lot of you have. And Stephen Bowden said, given Helen's own track record, she should perhaps pause before trying to steamroll a Kirsty into something she clearly is so much happier not doing. Uh, and then moving on from that, we also talked about uh, whether uh, the fact that it was okay for Ian to be cautious about Helen's partner choice, given her history, but... I wondered what do you say if you don't like your best friend's partner and I've actually been in that situation and let me tell you I said nothing um, because I thought it wasn't my business but I was interested to know what others think Um, so the wisdom of the group includes Judith Lawrence who said grit your teeth and get on with it it happened with a good friend of mine unfortunately sorry fortunately her now husband mellowed over time or maybe I became more tolerant my logic was she was a good friend and she obviously saw something good in him which I admit I did not appreciate at the time. They are still happily together 37 years later. Relatively recently, they commented that I was one of the few friends that didn't express disapproval. Her family were very verbose on the subject. Oh, well, well done you, Judith. Excellent that you stepped back. And that's kind of my thinking because you never know where that relationship is going to end up and you don't want to disengage from your friend, do you? Um, And Fiona Siobhan Powell said, you shut up unless you see something other than I just don't like him or her. You just keep your mouth tightly zipped. Sharon Weldon said, nothing if you say you don't like them and they marry them the next week. It makes life difficult. Yes, Sharon, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, Dorothy Brown said, you grit your teeth and be polite. Be there and done that. And it's bloody hard. And But Rosie McGlynn pointed out that I'm not sure hey buddy is the best way to say hello to someone. Also, I thought Lee had Christmas lunch at Bridge Farm, not at Grey Gables. I'm confused. And then we then talked about the fact that work dues often have their Christmas dinner on a different day to Christmas, which uh, I think is where the confusion lay. Uh, we then went on to... Uh, wonder how much does Josh know is he easily duped or is he taking a considered risk Uh, Brian Holding said Josh is just a greedy sod that probably wasn't bothered about where his stock was coming from if there was a profit in it I agree the suspiciously timed holiday suggests he knew more about what was going on I'd be surprised if his accounts were up to scratch either they should set the HMRC after him that's how they got Al Capone in the end I'm assuming that's a taxation organisation. Gordon Jackson said he's right in it. A strategically timed absence with no communication while a robbery took place with his kit. A dodgy alibi, if you ask me. And Martin Vanden Heuvel said, I was not surprised. David once shot a badger, and that's illegal. Brookfield is a hotbed of criminality. Think of Jill and her flapjack missiles. Josh is no exception. Lots more in that vein. That was a very robust um, uh, discussion. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Alex Russell posted up to say, 
I'm in tears. What a beautifully rich, well-rounded character Jim has become. And what an amazing actor. I believe every word he says. Uh, Sarah Passingham and Cecilia, amongst others, also agreed with that summation. And then in good yokel bear tradition, I thought I'd better do some polls. Now, he, this is interesting. I asked whether Phil and Kirsty would ever actually got married, and it was actually quite close. Um, there were 367 votes. 41% of you said yes, they will, which means 59% of you said no, they won't. Now, I did another uh, poll, and just asking whether the bullies like to get a name change. There was on that uh, 305 votes, 4% of you said yes, and 96% of you said no. And it is my experience that often we get a clear yes or no. So I found that one very, very interesting. Okay, so that's us for another week. Um, it's been actually it's a really good week, but then isn't it always when Mr. Davies is doing the writing? A uh, bit of a fan. So um, I will leave you in the very good hands of uh, Yoko Bear for next week, and I'll see you in a fortnight. Until then, I say to you, hooroo! Well done, Millie Bell. Thank you. As always, uh, that was, and I really like the poem at the start. Uh, well, and you read it out masterfully. I can't read for shit. And you can, so you did well. Well done, Millie <laughs> Bell. Lucy, can we have some yep. mirror headlines? Yep, first one from Kerry Warbis. Bride ru- ruins £12,000 dress on wedding day when she gambles on a fart and lost in a big way. Oh, my and, God. Yep, it's exactly what you think it is. And Caroline Pierce <laughs> on Facebook... <laughs> Caroline Pierce from Facebook sent in another oh, mirror headline. I made Paris Hilton's lasagna and it tasted like a shoe. So there we go. Wow. Uh, <laughs> got any uh, tweets for us? I have. D in Hastings. Ah, oh, yes, Burns Night, when the population of Ambridge gets together to celebrate their local police officer. <laughs> um, <laughs> Griselda Strange. Isn't it Chinese New Year as well? We could have Chinese Burns Night. Very good. Uh, Neil Wallington. Helen's like a new woman. She's riding a bicycle and demanding the vote. And sweary (laughs) caps... Wait a minute. Is this Street of the Week? Yes. Sweary caps locky archers listener. Lee. I'll put the kettle on. Ian. I was going to put the kettle on. Lee. Oh, well, you do it then. Ian. No, you do it if you like. Listeners. Fucking hell, Helen, it's your house. You do it. Oh, well done, folks. I think we actually might bring this show in at a a comfortable time uh, because we've got four minutes before Lucy's got to go. So I'm going to say dumjidum.com, go there. It's got a shop. It's got some awesome things besides uh, just like like mugs, T-shirts, hoodies, undercrackers. You can get undercrackers with dumdy-dum written all over them. And really, it should be dumdy-bum, really, shouldn't it? So anyway, uh, we'll correct that very obvious uh, pun uh, well, we'll correct we it. We'll put that very obvious very pump obvious. on the bum of the Dumpty Dum pants uh, sometime this week, if I can actually remember. Uh, don't forget, folks, by the end of the week, you'll be able to hear, if not see, Lucy V. Freeman and her monologues actually on the YouTubes. So if you were to type in by, I say Friday, uh, Lucy V. Freeman monologue, you just get Lucy V. Freeman delivering a monologue. Because uh, it's, it's going to do what I it says on the tin. Well, I haven't done it yet, right? But no, I'm going to do mean, it. Like, all right. But um, I, I will quickly explain to you off mic all the solid 
sensible reasons for doing that. Uh, so that's that. Uh, Patreon.com, folks. Now, I'm going to get you by hook or bloody crook some Patreon exclusive content in the next month. Don't ask me where I'm going to get it from, but I'm going to get it. I'm going to like <laughs> go up to some archer's actor and go, get on the end of a phone line and be interviewed. Be witty, <laughs> insightful and entertaining so I can put this out. I've got a few telephone numbers in my black book of people that work on the archers. I'm going to get on it because I think you Patreon people, you give us your money. And I know fundamentally it's just to support the show, but it's just our way of rewarding you. So in the next four weeks, uh, you will get something out of us, folks. So don't worry. Uh, Lucy, can you read anything out in red so it can yes. wind the show up? To- Get in contact with us. You can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe on the website dumptydum.com or you can call 0203-031-3105 to leave us a message. Ah, yeah, cool. Uh, Twitter, you can find <laughs> us where we are, at dumptydum. I'm at Royfield. Lucy is at... Lucy V. Freeman. And then also there is the wonderful Angela Barnes who sometimes plays with us. And of course, there is Yokel Bear, um, he's basically the, the brains when it can be bothered to wake up on time and actually do the tweet along as dum-de-dum. Basically, Yokel Bear is at dum-de-dum on the Twitters. And of course, there is Facebook. If you like things kind of Facebook-like, go out of Facebook, type in dum-de-dum, and there's some dum-de-dum action to be had there. We have about a minute. And I, just, and I did say this uh, last week, but in the uh, interest of having a show that was under two hours, I edited this out. But... Um, Hopefully, hopefully, um, you're getting a slightly better dum-de-dum in terms of audio quality. Uh, And that is because of a wonderful person called Ben Smith, who Lucy found um, on the Twitters. And he gave me lots of help and support uh, and how to set this up. So we're trialling a a new system. This is the second week of doing it. Ben, we'd like to thank you. I said we did thank you last week, but we edited it out. And um, I know you are an Archers fan and you could well be listening to us bigging you up right now so puff out your chest sir we salute you you is awesome enjoy your whiskey lucy yes uh would you like to sign off uh to to the listeners um yes please buy your tickets for the um academic archers so that i'm not doing an after dinner speech to myself (laughs) so do that please thank you Uh, Well done. I think that's a a very smart and wise thing to do. A good way of investing your hard-earned cash is to go along to Reading and chill out with some fellow Archers fans and then have a proper gut-busting giggle uh, to our Lucy whilst you're eating your rubber chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Wedding reception chicken, I think you'll find its official name. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Anyway, that's me saying goodbye. Because I need to explain some things to Lucy. Toodaloo. Bye-bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.